you have living in your head rent-free right now? Maybe you've never heard that term before, but it's an idiom that really is talking about what you can't stop thinking about. And for some, it might be a song like every time I hear Wang Chung's Everyone Have a Fun Tonight, I can't get that rhythm and melody out of my head. It stays there for quite a while, and I'm sorry if I've just set the soundtrack for this message for some of you. Sometimes it's a phrase, sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a video that just lives in our head. And generally, it's a negative thing, something we don't want there. But I wonder sometimes if God doesn't put something in our head rent-free that forces us to either concentrate on it or be reminded of it. This week, I heard a phrase that has been living rent-free in my head, and it has to do with Easter. And it was a pastor talking about Easter, and he said these words, Jesus didn't just die for me, he died instead of me. And it really got me thinking about Easter, because Easter is that time of year where we really focus on what Jesus has done for humanity. And sometimes it can be a real cerebral moment where we just think about it. But the Easter story really does invite you and I into the journey that Jesus goes through, from the garden to the tomb. And uh, it really invites us to be part of that. That's why we did Stations of the Cross prayer stations at the church this past week. And we invited you into that journey that Jesus went on. For Easter this Sunday, I want to just touch on four of those moments, the moments from the garden to the tomb. The first one has to do with the garden. And if you have your Bibles, I just want to read out of Matthew chapter 26. And it says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go there and pray. Gethsemane literally means an oil press. And what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus is about to get squeezed. He's about to be very uncomfortable. He's about to have a lot of pressure. And it goes on to say this. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with them, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, this, this moment in the garden is when Jesus feels all alone. The disciples abandoned him. They fall asleep on him at every opportunity. They are not with him. And even more than that, I think this is the first time that Jesus feels separated from God the Father. I think it's in the garden where he first experiences what he's going to ultimately experience on the cross, where he is going to be alone from God the Father. And it is overwhelming to him. So much so that his capillaries burst and he bleeds blood. He sweats blood. He is so overcome with that separation. Jesus has a taste of what is to come. And because of that, he faces a choice. He faces the choice whether to continue on the road to death on the cross. He faces the choice of whether he is going to die for you and me. And in the garden, that's the place where he chooses you. He chooses to carry on. He makes the decision to die for you. Hebrews 12, 2 uh, records this verse that says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What's that talking about? What kind of joy could Jesus have in enduring the cross? 
while we know it has nothing to do with God the Father and his relationship, because he already had that relationship before the cross. So what does he gain after the cross? The answer to that is that he gains a relationship with you and me for eternity. The garden is a reminder that Jesus chose you. The garden is also a reminder that when we experience those dark nights of the soul, when we experience those darkest hours in our life, that we are not alone. Jesus has gone through that darkness as well, and he is with us every step of the way. The garden is a reminder that everything that Jesus goes through, he did because he died for you. As soon as Jesus makes his decision, basically, his first test comes. And we find it again in Matthew chapter 26. And this is what it says. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with the soldiers. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with Judas and the story and how he betrays Jesus. And sometimes I think Judas gets a bad rap or a, a worse rap than he should. You, you do realize that Judas was probably one of the most trusted members of Jesus's ensemble of his disciples because he was the treasurer. I mean, he was the guy that they gave all the money to to keep track of and to figure out and pay all the bills. I'm sorry, but you don't put the shifty guy in charge of the bank account. And so he was trusted. And if you really think about it, Judas, like all the other disciples, end up following away from Jesus. Even Peter denies Jesus. It just so happens that Judas is the first one that falls away. I have felt the sting of betrayal. I have been in situations where I was working with people and we were going in the same direction and I thought uh, we all had a common goal and purpose until one day they turned to me and said we're done I don't want to be working with you anymore that kind of betrayal really does hurt and you see Judas at some point came to the realization that he was done with Jesus the difference between Judas and the other disciples though is that his betrayal came at a price. He received 30 pieces of silver for his betrayal, for his turning away from Jesus. And I don't know what caused Judas to get to that point. Maybe it was because he had a dream of kicking the Romans out, and he finally realized that that's not what Jesus' plan was. Jesus had an entirely different plan, and that wasn't okay with Judas. You see... There are points in our life where we're often faced with the question, what if I don't get out of life what I want? Does that cause me to trust Jesus less or to focus on Jesus less? Um, sometimes the things we want in life, we never get. Sometimes we ask Jesus to heal someone that we love and he doesn't. Sometimes we ask Jesus to bless us or make us successful or make our life easier and he doesn't. I mean, what's the point of following Jesus if he doesn't help us in some way? That's how we think, isn't it? You see, when Jesus doesn't do something that you think he should, you have a price. 
just like Judas had a price. If you think Jesus should save your marriage or protect your child and he doesn't, that's a price you put on it. What are you going to do if in your obedience, Jesus asks you to do something that you don't want to do? Maybe it's forgive someone that has really hurt you. Maybe it's spend more time with your family when you don't want to. Maybe it's even giving Jesus your whole week instead of just an hour on Sunday morning. What if he's asking you to give up sports and you don't want to? What is your price? You see, when you value something more than Jesus, you have a price. Whether you want to admit it or not, you've probably betrayed Jesus. See, the most valuable thing that God could give us is his son, Jesus. That's the most valuable thing he could do because in Jesus, we could have a relationship with God the Father. And so when we turn our back, when we turn our back and betray and have a price for following Jesus, we in essence betray him. And sometimes it's just getting sidetracked. It's getting sidetracked with health and wealth and happiness and comfort. And we look to Jesus for these things and when he doesn't give it to us, that's our price for not following him. You and I have betrayed Jesus. And in essence, we're no different than Judas or Peter. And yet, if you know the story of Judas and Peter, you notice there was one difference between the two of them. They each had a choice. You see, they had a choice to reconcile with Jesus. And the difference between the two of them is Peter chose to accept Jesus' salvation and ask for forgiveness, which Jesus gives to him. Judas, on the other hand, doesn't. And the Bible tells us that ultimately he received the verdict that he deserved for not choosing Jesus. It says in Matthew 26, 4, that it would have been better for him not to be born. The reality is, is that for any single one of us, if we reject Jesus, that same condemnation will be true of us. After the betrayal, Jesus is tried and convicted unjustly, both by the Jews and the Romans. And even though he was sinless, Jesus was convicted for our sin. Jesus is then humiliated, and then he's beaten. You see, crucifixion wasn't just about pain. It was also about shame. The Romans really did know how to kill people. Crucifixion was a masterful way of causing the most pain and the most shame for people to die. It would start off by the prisoner being stripped and then being whipped, flogged. They would use a device known as the cat of nine tails, which would be a whip with nine leather tails on it. And at the end of each tail would be embedded glass or metal or even bone. And the soldier who was doing the whipping would whip the person and set those objects into the skin of the person and they would set there. Then he would pull back and it would rip the flesh from the person's back. And they would repeat this over and over again until the prisoner's back was a bloody mess. They would then force the prisoner to pick up his crossbeam and carry this rough splintery piece of wood that probably weighed about 100 pounds to the place where he would eventually die. The place that the Romans always picked was very public. 
It was usually a, a, the entrance into the city or a main thoroughfare into the city so that the most amount of people would see this person die. Once that person got there, they would lay him down, take off all his clothes and nail him to the cross. They picked the, the most painful parts of the arm, making sure that when they nailed him, they would, the nails would hit the nerves so that you would be in pain even just laying there. And then they would put you up on the cross and they would uh, hang you in such a way that you would be forced to push yourself up or pull yourself up, causing incredible amount of pain just so you could breathe. And if you relaxed and went down to lessen the pain, you couldn't breathe. So basically, crucifixion was death by asphyxiation. And you would stay as alive as long as you could keep going up and holding yourself up in order to get a breath. Shame and pain. That's what the Romans used to kill people with crucifixion. And that's the death that Jesus suffered on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, it tells us this, that when they crucified him, Jesus, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You see, Jesus died for you on the cross. It's your sin, it was my sin that placed him there. We might as well have driven the nails in his hands ourselves because of our sin. 1 Peter 3.8 tells us this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. But Jesus didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. You see, Jesus' death was part of a plan God set in place. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't done at the last minute or the last moment. A couple hundred years, several hundred years later, or earlier, Isaiah, the prophet, foretold what this crucifixion would look like in Isaiah 53. And in that passage, there's a couple of verses that say things like, He was crushed for our iniquities our wickedness, our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, meaning that we deserved punishment, and yet Jesus took that punishment instead of us. And in verse 6, it tells us that the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. The punishment we should have received, we deserve to receive, Jesus took that. That's why Jesus died instead of us not just for us. And yet, even though that's true, so many people reject Jesus. They reject what he has done for them. They just can't seem to accept that Jesus would die for them and that they deserved that Jesus, Jesus to die for them. In many ways, I think a lot of people look at God and they think that they should try and reach up, try and show God that they are worth something, the Bible clearly teaches us that our sin causes us to not be able to do anything for our salvation. And the story of the cross is really God reaching down to us through his son, Jesus. Jesus died for us and he died instead of us. And even though Jesus died for you and even though he died for me, there is still a step you need to take. You have to choose to accept that sacrifice. 
You see, even at the cross, even when Jesus was dying, God showed us that he is into changing people's hearts. And in that moment and in that story, you'll realize there are two peoples whose hearts are changed in that moment, even at Jesus' death. The first one is the thief who, when hung up there, initially starts to insult Jesus, but by the end, before he dies, Jesus welcomes him into heaven. The other person is the Roman centurion who would have been probably one of the mockers who mocked Jesus earlier, probably was one of the ones who crucified him and hung him up there. When everything had come to pass and when Jesus finally said, and it is finished and died, he said, surely, truly, that was the son of God. Even his perspective changed. And if Jesus' death were the end, we wouldn't be here today. But the story doesn't end with Jesus' death. When Jesus dies, his body is taken down off the cross and he is wrapped up and placed in a borrowed tomb. The Bible tells us that on Sunday morning, several women went to the tomb to check on Jesus and they found an angel there. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 5, it says this, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead. The resurrection becomes the most important event in human history. But only if it's true. You see, if it's not true, then Jesus really just died as a martyr. He was a guy who was able to gain a large following, but ultimately ended up dying with nothing coming from it. But the disciples really truly believed that he had risen from the dead. He had. And the most important thing for us today is to understand the veracity of the resurrection. Is it really true? There are a number of proofs that I could point to to tell you and try and convince you that it is, but probably the most important of these is how the disciples responded. All of them ended up going to their death, never recanting in the resurrection. They all believed and professed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. And that's a huge proof because how would a whole group go to their death, some of them very violently, if they all knew it to be a lie, but they didn't. They believed it to be true and they preached that truth. The resurrection is the most important event in human history. And if it is true, it means a couple of things. It means that Jesus is who he says he was, the son of God who died for your sins. It also means that it's the most important event in history because it gives us hope it means that death and pain and suffering have been dealt with. So the question I have for you today is, how do you respond to the resurrection? How do you respond to this event? Do you believe that it is true or not? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. But here's the thing. 
we are really good at finding things to disbelieve the resurrection. We are really good at finding ways to disbelieve Jesus. For some people, it's, the, it's looking at our world and the reality of pain and suffering and death that causes them to doubt who Jesus is. There are others who resist turning their whole life over to Jesus because they can't imagine that that's what God would want for them. There are still others who are unwilling to acknowledge the sin in their life and that sin that separates them from God the Father. And there are still others who seem to have a necessity to have all their answers or all their questions answered before they will commit to believing. I heard an interesting description or definition of what faith is. Faith really is the ability or the willingness to live with some of your questions remaining unanswered and even having some doubts, but coming to the place where you make the decision to trust in the undeniable fact of the resurrection. You see, Jesus chose to die for you because he chose you even though you betrayed him, even though you've sinned against him. He was willing to die for you and instead of you so that you didn't have to receive the punishment of your sins. In rising from the dead, Jesus made it possible for us to have life with him. The only question is this, how will you respond to the sacrifice and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? You see, only you can make that choice for yourself. You have to choose to make the choice to follow and accept the resurrection. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this reminder of the story of the garden to the tomb to the resurrection. It is a powerful story, Lord. It is a powerful story that can change our lives. So God, I pray for those who are listening who have never chosen to believe in the resurrection. Pray that you would give them the faith to believe in this undeniable fact. Lord, for others who maybe have um, issues with believing in who you are, Lord, I pray that today would be the day they would decide to accept your gift of eternal life, to accept your sacrifice on the cross for them and choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us on this Easter Sunday. I hope you enjoyed our service. It was a great, uh, we had a great time putting it together for you. I hope that this week as you enter into it, you will be reminded that God will put in your head things that you just can't get out of about his story, about his love for you. Now, I encourage you to spend some time after the message, just going through the questions with those who are, you are listening and watching this with and really interact with them and see what God has for you. Have a great week.